This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, inherited family trauma expert Mark Wolin is joined in conversation by CIAS Dean of Alumni Richard Boogs to discuss how the traumas of our parents, grandparents, and even great-grandparents can affect us. The conversation was recorded on May 10, 2016, in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to get a chance to talk with you about this uh, incredible book, which I have right here. So to start off, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you believe trauma can be passed from a parent to a child. So when we have a trauma, it changes us. Uh, Literally, it causes a physical change in our DNA. And this changes the way our genes function, sometimes for generations. So when we um, go to have children, we always hope that our children have a clean hard drive, uh, but it's not always the case. We find that there's an operating system already in place, one that contains the fallout from our traumas, our parents' traumas, even our grandparents, maybe even our great-grandparents' traumas. And so our children can be born with fears and feelings that, that don't belong to them, which is why I wrote the book, so we can make these links, we can break the cycle. That's the short answer. All right, there's more. So how in the world did you get started with this work and all those insights that you just described? 26 years ago, I lost the vision in one of my eyes. And I was, back then, I was a rock musician, a poet, and had a business. And um, all of a sudden, the doctors told me um, that I was going to become legally blind in my one eye and that they, they sh- I should expect that my other eye will be affected too. I had a chronic form of a condition called central serous retinopathy. Now, central serous retinopathy in most people is self-limiting, uh, but I, had, I was the 5% that had the chronic form, and it just kept getting worse and worse, and I was pretty terrified, and I literally handed the keys of my business to somebody because I wasn't going to need a business anymore if I couldn't see And I went on a search for healing uh, after I tried juice fasts and hands-on healing and vitamins and supplements and everything seemed to make it worse. And this search literally led me around the globe to learn from some pretty profound, wise teachers. By this time, I was meditating days on end, fasting, fasting. And I remember one teacher who I waited all day to see for a satsang, a a meeting. Um, I think I'm eight hours in this line with the white robe at the temple, and and it's my turn. And and I'm thinking I'm moments away from enlightenment, and he's going to look at me and just, he's going to say, christen me the meditator of the year. Um, But that doesn't happen. He looks right at me. Literally, he looks right through me. 
and says, go home and call your parents. Well, that didn't sit real well. <laughs> and I figured he, clearly he misread me. And I was going to go to an even greater spiritual master, which is what I did. I found a, this, the, the next guy, he imbued this heavenly love on people, um, hundreds of people a day. And I thought, well, this guy will get me. Well, all day again, I'm in line, waiting to see the teacher. I get to the front of the line eight hours later. And again, he looks right through me. He could see what I couldn't see. And he said, go home and make peace with your parents. That time I listened. And I didn't know how I was going to make peace with my parents, with whom I was entirely broken. Uh, we'll probably get to that later. But uh, I did. And my eyesight came back. And... Uh, I, I, want, I felt compelled to teach the principles that I learned. So I started teaching these principles, and 26 years later, um, they're in that book. Well, so could you maybe say a little bit more about your own then personal experience with inherited uh, family trauma? I guess you did go home and got into this. and Yeah. And where was home? Mm. Steeler country. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. um, so I go home, but I'm trying to heal this, really a break in the bond with my mother, a break with my father. Um, I don't know it at the time, but I'm really healing inherited family trauma. I, don't, I, I won't know that for many years to come, but I'm going to take you back then. Back then, well, I'll go even further. I'm going to go way back. Each of my grandparents is orphaned in some way. Three of them lose their mothers when they're babies or toddlers. And the fourth, she loses her dad when she's one. So who does she lose also? Now, of course, her, her mom, right? Her mom's grieving. Um, so this pattern of being broken from a mother's love is what passes forward in my family. And I remember, uh, I remember being five or six years old. Whenever my mom would leave the house, I'd be panicked and terrified and I'd run into her room and I'd open her drawers and I'd pull out her scarves and her nightgowns and I'd bury my face in them trying to breathe in her scent because I think I'm never going to see her again. I don't know this is inherited at the time. I just really think I'm never going to see her again. But the uncanny part of the story is what happens 40 years later when I say to my mom, mom, do you know when you would leave the house, I would just cry in her clothes. And she looked at me and said, you did that too? I did the same thing when my mother left us. And then, wait, there's another part of the story. Just the other day, my sister's reading the book, and she said, you did that too? <laughs> so it, it, so these, these bonding patterns, these breaks in the bond, mm. pass forward. Bad news, but mm -hmm. we can heal them. So in this book, you talk about uh, traumas being uh, inherited genetically. Yeah. Is there some scientific research that you've uh, found that you support that, that finding? Scientists have long suspected something like this was true, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago um, that this pioneering rock star, well, not rock star, she's a rock star neurobiologist. I call her a rock star. Her name is Rachel Yehuda. And she does these two studies that turn everything upside down. She finds out 
the first study, she finds out that Holocaust survivors and their children share the same trauma symptoms, specifically low levels of the stress hormone cortisol, the um, hormone that gets us back to normal after we have trauma. And then she finds the same pattern in children who were born to pregnant mothers at or near the World Trade Center when it was attacked during 9-11. Trauma symptoms, anxiety, depression. And then same thing in war veterans. In fact, just last year, she does the crowning study of all. She finds out that survivors and their parents share the exact same gene changes in the exact same region of the exact same gene. For science buffs out there, I think it's the FKBP5 gene involved in stress regulation. Uh, I, th I think there's one more thing. She, she tells us that you, 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 you and I are three times more likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder if one of our parents had PTSD. And as a result, we're likely to struggle with depression and anxiety. So she can, we can show it in humans for two generations. So when you think back about some of the first cases that you saw, what t sort of taught you to look for this particular, what we don't call it a syndrome, what would we call this particular? I didn't know what I was looking for at the time. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was inherited family trauma. I had to find out the hard way when I would find symptoms that were out of context with someone's life experience. I, I'm... Do we have time for two cases? Sure. They're both cutters. So I had no idea. And I know cutting right now has doubled in the last 10 years um, between women, girls, 10 to 17, and it's quite um, a serious issue. And many times we don't know what to do. We do DBT. We do things. Listen to these two cases. The first case, I see this woman in her 20s. But when she's 14 years old, her parents do not tell her she's adopted. She doesn't know. She thinks her parents are her biological parents. But at 14, she carves the word fat pig on the sexual part of her thigh. I, I, I don't meet her into her 20s, and she cuts a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And she finally finds out at 21 that she's adopted. And somewhere around 22 or 3, she meets her birth mother, who tells her that she was raped at 14 by a fat pig. And one of the interesting pieces of the language was I remember saying to this woman in one of our first sessions, I said, what is a fat pig? And she said the words, which I remember writing down, someone who takes what isn't his. So how does she know at 14 when she literally writes this language in her leg? She doesn't, but something does. That was one of my first um, cases that let the lights up for me that said there's something going on here that's more than our own childhood experience, our own personal experience, our own life experience. The second case is equally dramatic. Um, she was a cutter who would cut so deeply that she would often have to be hospitalized for blood loss or infections. 
And I remember saying to her, what, what do you think about when, and she's 24. And I said, what do you think about right before you cut? Go right to the minute, close your eyes, pretend you're just about to cut. What's the thought? And she said, I deserve to die. Now, here's a, I'm looking at a 24-year-old, and I'm thinking, what have you done? What did you do? And she said, what do you mean? I said, did you harm somebody? Did you kill somebody? Did you leave somebody? They committed suicide. What have you done? She said, oh, it's nothing like that. And then I poked around in her family history, and she dropped the bomb. Grandma, an alcoholic, is driving drunk. Grandpa is in the passenger seat. Grandma hits a pole. Grandpa goes through the windshield, gets lacerated, cut, and bleeds to death. In that moment, the connection is obvious to me, and I help her. When she cuts, she's unconsciously remembering her grandfather. When she wants to die, when she feels she deserves to die, that would be grandmother's feeling. And why was it a bullseye? Because when we worked with it, she stopped cutting. Both of the women stopped cutting when we worked with these. So clearly there's something very important about the transgenerational effect here. Do you have an idea about how many generations back can be part of this? Yeah. So we, for, for this, of course, we have to go to the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but they, there's, a, there's a passage in Numbers that talked about th- the children will be visited for three to four generations, right? So hold that loosely. Well, what does science now tell us? three to four generations. They've done these amazing studies with mice, and they've just emerged in the last few years. Now, why mice? Mice and humans share 99% of the same genetic makeup, mice and rats. Out of 30,000 genes, 2,900, I'm bad at math, 29,700 are the same. So this is why we do studies and do terrible little things to poor little mice. And this one terrible study to the poor little mice, they put the smell of cherry blossom scent into the cage and electrically shocked the mice, male mice. They took the sperm from the male mice and put it into uh, females that were not shocked or did not have trauma. And in the next generation, well, let's talk about the first generation first. So these male mice, when they cut open their brains, they found they had enlarged areas in the brain that could detect these smell smell receptors that could detect the smell at lower concentrations. Why? To protect themselves. They also had changes in the blood and the sperm. In the next generation, well, they took the male mice again. They introduced the smell of cherry blossoms, but not a shock. And what do you think happened? the mice had learned to have the fear response to the cherry blossom scent without being shocked. They inherited their father's fear response. They also cut their brains and they found the same enlarged brain areas, the same sperm changes, the same blood changes. Well, third generation, they introduced the smell of the cherry blossom scent. The mice are all jittery and freaking out. But... In the third generation mice, they don't have the enlarged part of the brain. They don't have the changes in the sperm. They don't have the changes in the blood, which lead the researchers 
technically uh, Brian Diaz out of Emory Medical School in Atlanta, for those of you who want to read the study, what they determine is, well, we know for three generations, but possibly not beyond that. Many of the studies show a three-generational link. Mm-hmm. So parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. So I'm already thinking about great-grandparents. Uh, how can a person tell if they might be suffering from an inherited trauma? We can, be, we can be born with a feeling that we cannot explain, but often there are definitely telltale signs. We can have a sudden onset of anxiety, depression, fear, an obsessive thought, when we hit a certain age, or we reach a certain milestone in our life. For example, we go to get married, or we go to have children, or we move, we we leave the house for the first time, or we get rejected by the person we love, and all of a sudden this brings up trauma larger out of context than that rejection. I I once worked with a woman. no pattern of anxiety her whole life, but consumed with anxiety when she becomes pregnant and goes to have a baby. So I asked some of the questions that I outline in the book, and we find out that she has a horrific fear of harming her child. I said to her, did, did anyone in your family ever harm a child? She said, no. Are you sure? Did anyone in your family ever harm a baby? She said, no. And, oh, my gosh, she said. My grandmother, when she was a young woman, lit a candle, caught the curtains, caught the house on fire, couldn't get her newborn out from upstairs. And the baby died. And in that minute, she made the link that she was, had inherited her grandmother's life experience, really, in, expressed in her fear And then we could take the steps to make her a much calmer mother Mm -hmm. after that. I mean, for me, it's very important we make these links. We many of us are walking around with what mysteries really. We can't we can't explain this depression. We never get to the bottom of it. We can't explain this anxiety. We don't know why we have this fear. We look in our childhood, maybe our parents, a great relationship with our parents, no events that we can pinpoint in our childhood or in our, uh, during gestation. And we don't know where to turn. And that, that's actually why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like language is very important in all of this. And in the book you talk about the core language approach. Maybe you could say something a little bit more about what it is for people to find language to hone in on their trauma. Thank you. I love that question, actually. Um, When we have trauma, here's the trauma, and here are clues. Trauma leaves clues behind, often in clues in our emotionally charged language, the language we use every day to describe our fears, our our symptoms, our relationships, our boss, our our life, our life. Um, It's like a breadcrumb trail. And when we know how to follow this language, what I call core language, it's like finding the missing piece of the puzzle that lets the whole picture come into view and gives us the context to explain why we feel the way we do. So I, I, Richard and I were talking beforehand and, and we were talking about my background, which is poetry. 
language, hearing language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also talk about the uh, four unconscious themes that interrupt the flow of life. And could you tell us a little bit what about these themes and how could someone tell maybe if one of these themes might be impacting them? The four unconscious themes are, before I get into what they are, let's talk about how the unconscious effects of the four themes affect our vitality, affect our health, affect our ability to hold on to money or be successful, as well as our relationships. The four unconscious themes, we reject a parent, and I'll explain each one. We've merged with the life experience of a parent We have a break in the bond with our mother. Or like the Cutters, um, we're identified with somebody in the family who suffered terribly in some way or who's been rejected or ignored or left out or the story doesn't get told or it's so horrific like the grandmother and the newborn that you, you never mentioned that story in that house. You never brought up that child and you never said it to grandmother. Um, I'll start with the first one. When we reject a parent, we reject aspects of ourselves. We, we can't see when we're the same. And what we judge in that parent shows, in, uh, shows up in us unconsciously, and we disown it. If our mom's cold, we can't see when we're cold, but we sure can see when our partner's cold. And then what we do is we often project the rejection that we feel toward this parent onto our partner waiting for him or her to be distant, not hear us, to be cold, to be selfish, all the things that we feel that the parent has done, or or worse, we do to ourselves, literally, the child in us. If our parents ignored us, who do we ignore? Our child, the child inside us. If our parents were aggressive, we're inwardly aggressive. If our parents were critical, we're self-critical. So that the healing our relationship with the parents is not easy for people. I mean, this is what I work with a lot in my workshops. Um, a, a large part of the book focuses on how to heal these broken relationships like I had to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I even teach how to receive something good from our parents, even when very little was given. It's essential we heal these. The second theme, we've merged with the life experience of a parent. Dad fails, we fail. Mom gives away a child or a child dies, we abort our first child. Uh, Mom loses dad at 30 because he leaves. What do you think happens in our relationship around 30? We get distant. We shut down. They shut down. We see these unconscious... Why I say these are unconscious themes is we don't look at the effects. We think we're the problem. Generally, what we do is we walk around saying, well, I'm just wired this way. This is how I am. Uh, I'm just this way. We don't think to connect our experience with the generation before or the generation before that. The third theme, unconsciously, that affects us, why it's unconscious is, is it happens so early, we often can't get to it. We have a break in the bond with our mother. Something happened emotionally or physically, Something, some event happened in utero. Uh, Maybe the child died before we were born. 
So mother was, um, wasn't able to tune in to the pregnancy, fearing we'd die too. But by that time, too much of her attention was away, and we stopped trusting her care. Or we were in an incubator, or there was a hospitalization, or mom and dad were going at it and fighting when we were a baby, or they were separating, or we were in utero, or mom was shut down, or so many things. I go into great detail. But the effects of a break in the bond are we're often held together with tightness and anxiety. We don't trust the feeling of who we are. We often have struggled to hold on to feelings of safety, security, well-being, inner peace. We're, we're resistant to reach out to our partner because we had the rug pulled out from under us when we were young. So as soon as we, we can be cool, everything's great, we're in re, we're, life's great, and then we get into a relationship. And what's, what happens? All our early fears show up of it's not safe, you're not safe. Or don't hurt me, don't leave me. So we either become clingy and needy or we become fine, I'm cool. We become withdrawn and independent. The fourth theme, the most interesting theme in the sense that it's the most mysterious and and largely what I write um, a lot of the book on are these identifications with people in our family that have been rejected or excluded or the trauma has been too difficult to heal. Our stillborn brother, we're identified with him. We live lifeless like he does. We don't fit in or feel like we don't belong in the family like him. Our grandmother's sister who went insane and she was locked up and no one ever talks about her, but we have fear that we're going to go crazy and we're going to be locked up. Our relatives who lost everything, and we have a fear I'll lose everything. Uh, uh, These identifications are, well, you ask me an interesting question, how do we know? Well, you want the good news or the bad news? Um, The good news, the the bad news. The bad news is we have two, three, or four of these things generally. Because if we have a break in the bond with our mom, many times we reject her for not giving us what we needed, and, and now um, we're merged with her. We wake up and one day we're just, oh my God, I've become my mother. So, um, oh, and so we can have two or three of these. That's the bad news. And the good news is the third half of the book is all tools how to break these patterns and end the cycle. Yeah, That's a lot. So uh, on the other side of the coin with the glass half full, uh, are there any benefits of inherited family trauma? Yes, yes, there. Thank you. I'm glad we needed that. Had to get to some benefits. There are there are benefits to inherited family trauma. For example, we're born with a skill set like those mice. Remember, the mice were born with enlarged areas of the brain so they could detect. They had more smell receptors to that area so they could detect the smell to keep themselves safe. So what happens is. When we have a trauma, or let's say we're from a war-torn country, okay? And in this war-torn country, bullets are firing and guns are going off and bombs are dropping. We learn how to be very reactive, safe, be careful. So I'd rather be with somebody who's been through war trauma if there's a war going on rather than someone who 
has not because their reaction times are quicker. They've inherited a skill set that keeps them safe and can keep us safe. So yeah, we've all inherited things from these traumas. They're not all bad. What it, what it does is it expands our range of possibilities. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So we live in an area that's blessed with so many types of therapy. Could you say a little bit about why this type is different? Well, because... We're dealing with biologically inherited traumas, and, and that's a brand new field. And, um, so, well, until the last few years, science is now beginning to explain these mysteries we live with, these unexplained anxieties, these sudden-onset depressions, these obsessive thoughts. And so, again, I, I like to bring it back to language. Um, it's important to hear what we say when we're struggling. In the book, you'll learn to be a detective. You'll learn to write down answers to certain questions that will turn you into a detective to hear what you say. And then it'll teach you how to make these links. And the links that you want to make are, is this your language or is this your family language? Is this your grandmother's language? Is this language that's been coursing through your... I mean, the language in my family from the break and the bond, the orphan grandmothers is, don't leave. I can't survive without you. I won't make it. I'll fall apart. I'll be ruined. I won't be able to take care of myself, which were all the sentences I was saying when I was lost my vision. I won't be able to take care of myself. I'll fall apart. I'll be ruined. So I look for these languages... These, these core language, these unconscious nuggets. And then we make the link where these belong, what traumas precipitated this type of language. And then we have the tools to break the cycle so we can heal. So you've met a lot of people over time. And would you say that almost everyone suffers to a, a greater or lesser degree from some kind of inherited trauma? And if so, well, how do you explain where to begin in terms of treatment? That's a good question. I think we probably all have some inherited trauma. We just haven't identified it. We haven't made the link. And one of the reasons I wrote, again, wrote that book is to generate enough awareness in the medical community, therapeutic community, to get some studies done, to see this field grow, to get some research, to figure out how prevalent it is, because it's really hard to say. I know if I'm working with someone's fear or depression or anxiety or OCD or self-injury, I know if it's connected by what they, what he or she will tell me, and then when we do a traumagram or a genogram, when we start to look at some of these things in the family, we'll be able to make some connections. Um, what What steps to take? Well, we need to make the link, or we don't know what we're treating. Sometimes we're looking for something, and because the field is so new, um, that's the other hope I have, is that the book will generate enough awareness that the tools are out there, and everybody can just use these tools, and we can start looking, hey, it might extend beyond the childhood, and it might look, and um, we might have to look two, three, four generations back. Hmm. Thank you. So it seems possible that um, this model might intimidate someone who's uh, maybe thinking about getting pregnant. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've always wished I had a womb to have a baby. 
I'm they, intimidated by they, the idea of getting pregnant. I guess they call that womb envy. Uh, but I'm just wondering, the, the mental health and mental state of the parents is so important, especially the mothers. I mean, it seems so critically important. What advice would you give to someone, some hopeful mother out there who uh, worries about the stress in, in her life? I would ask lots of questions to my parents and my grandparents. I would, I would learn about the traumas in my family history, specifically traumas that involve stillborns, um, babies that die, late-term um, pregnancies that fail, um, children who die when they're young, moms who die in childbirth. You know, you can see in a family, if the mother, for example, or a grandmother has died in childbirth, that the women can be afraid to have children. And the feeling could be, well, what they would say, maybe on the surface, I'm not the maternal kind, I don't want kids. But beneath this could be a fear, if I get married, if I get close, if I have a baby, I could die. And yet in the same family, a male from that family could, well, he could fear commitment. Because what did grandpa do with his sexuality? He made grandma pregnant. And what happened? She died. So the men in the same family could fear that if they get close, they could harm the person they love. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the first thing I would do is ask questions, learn about the traumas in my family when I go to have a baby. The second thing I would do is make sure my relationship with my mom is healed if I'm a woman having a baby because um, we, we learn from even my studies. They separate, we learn that breaks in the bond are heritable. They pass down for three generations. There's another interesting mice, mouse study where they separated baby mice for only three hours a day from their mothers for the first two weeks. And then they found that these mice had symptoms that resembled depression in humans and they could be observed for three generations so breaks in the bonds are heritable so I would clean up my relationship uh, with my mom and um, and then do the tools do the exercises mm -hmm. to heal it's important we heal this isn't always a popular sentiment but we've got to heal our broken relationships even if they're painful even if they hurt us, they have to heal. Well, we have to heal them first inside us. Never throw yourself in front of a moving train. Never. Make sure you're safe. But then when you can step back, you might look at some of these relationships and ask, what precipitated my mom's distance? In other words, what trauma happened in her family? What precipitated my dad's drinking? What trauma happened in his family. And when we do this, it creates compassion. Well, first it creates understanding. And then secondly, after we have understanding, we can breathe and then we can move toward compassion. And when we have compassion, then we can have peace and we all want peace. So imagine sometimes you get a little pushback or some resistance to looking back at the relationship with mom or grandmother yeah, because it's so prevalent. It was, my, it was my story. I didn't want to do it. I had to go home and heal my relationship with my mom. No way. Being hugged by her felt like I was being squeezed by a bear trap. 
literally, here I come back from Indonesia, you know, and I'm ready to heal. The, the teachers send me back, and I'm going to heal, and I'm walking up the driveway, and I'm thinking, piece of cake. No, I'm not thinking that. What I'm thinking is I can't do this. I cannot heal with her. I'm too, I, there are too many hurt feelings between us. So I'm walking up the driveway, and she's going to hug me, and I'm going to feel like I'm being squeezed by a bear trap, and that's exactly what happened. And, but I said, the change, the one thing I did differently, I said, don't, don't stop. Don't, don't stop hugging me. I wanted to know inside my own body what happened. And I kept telling her not to stop for many weeks, and she thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I just wanted to learn what was going on, what was happening, so I could find my triggers and meet my triggers head on. And, um, well, it's not easy to heal these broken relationships because we take it personally. So one of the things that we get to in the book, of course, is it's not personal, just traumas. All that happened between you and your father, all that happened between you and your mother, is a trauma stands in the way. Either a trauma that happened with you early in utero or when you were a little baby or before you were born or with mom and grandmom or with dad and grandpa or something with one of their siblings. All that happened was a trauma. It wasn't personal. The same behavior, treatment, would have come to any child in that birth order. One of the things I like to say, Richard, is I like to say that um, if your mom or dad is a faucet, that flows at 100%, but your mom or dad only flows at 2%, you can still put your cup underneath and look for the places where you can fill that cup 100%. Um, You can still look for, well, they can't do this, 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 but they give money, or they, um, she cooks, or he listens when I talk. Of course, he just reads the paper. But whatever your story is, you do the work inside. Healing is an inside job, really. Mm. And it, reconciliation is an internal movement. The, the change has to happen first in you. But don't get hooked on the idea that your parents have to change. That's where most people get hooked. They go, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go. And, but they did the same thing. They were cold and distant again. Of course they were cold. Are they in this room with you? No, you're in this room with you. They didn't come. That's you did. You're the one doing the work. The change happens in you. Remember that, please. Yeah. What do you suppose allowed you, though, to take that leap of faith? And it really was a leap of faith to let your mother keep hugging you and stay with it. Because I imagine that bearing up under the strain and pressure and the triggers and the trust that it, you must have found something inside, some kind of resiliency. Or... I had done so much meditation at that time <laughs> that I was able to stay with my uncomfortable feelings. That was just an external uncomfortable <laughs> feeling. But still, it was, it was coming from outside. And it was creating what I was used to feeling. The un, I was just able to tolerate my uncomfortable feelings, which is one of the places we go in, when we heal. We have to learn to tolerate this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was tolerating it, the bear trap, but just hanging out in it and just... And, and finally, something softened after a while. I mean, it took many weeks, and then I had to do the same thing with my dad. Took 36 weekly lunches with my, my Marine sergeant, construction worker father. I'd say, Dad, I love you. And he'd say, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he wasn't praying, huh? <laughs> I'd say, Dad, I really just love you. He goes, oh, am I going to hear that shit again? <laughs> hey, I think we have the same dad. <laughs> But, but, but I'll tell you, in the 36th week, I'll tell you what happened. I'm going to cry, probably, if I tell this story. On the 36th week, he looked right, right at me, and he said, I didn't think you ever liked me. 
and he was right. He could feel it. And uh, see, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and and it was such a moment for both of us in that moment. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you ended up getting to talk to your your folks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On any level about some of these things that you discovered and. I was lucky I had 16 good years with my dad before he got Alzheimer's. He died in 2010. And, but uh, four years before that, he had Alzheimer's, and uh, pretty bad. But um, I, I did. I got all the stories. I, I did. I fished around. One of, one of the funny stories is that I asked um, my mom for years. I said, Mom, I know I have a break in the bond. What happened? She goes, no, you don't. I was there all the time. So, but, but, Mom, I know I'm teaching this stuff. I can feel how it's muscled in me. I know it's, it's, I know it's zero to 18 months. I know it. She goes, no, you didn't. I, go, I mean, this would be for years. It's just, I was there all the time. There's never a separation. So finally... I mean, this 10 years later, I said, Mom, look, I'm teaching this. I can feel it in other people's bodies. I know exactly. 18 months. Give me 18 months. Let's start there. And she said, okay, 18 months. Okay, yeah, I was in the hospital for three weeks when I was having your sister. I had a, a barrel. And then we went down. You know, okay, also forceps and many, many injuries. I got them all. Took a while. She came around. She came around. But don't expect your mother to come around. <laughs> do not expect your mother to come around. I'm telling you, just do the work internally and then take your show on the road to her. So it's possible for folks whose mothers have passed to, oh, absolutely. to still be able to access what you're describing. Absolutely. And there's a big chapter on how to work with um, parents who've passed. Yes. Okay. So what happens in situations of mass trauma? You mentioned the Holocaust and 9-11. Uh, uh, what might be the effects on the children of these survivors? And uh, can you share any cases in particular that demonstrate this? I was going to ask you if I can tell a case. Um, yes, there's, uh, I worked with a guy with panic attacks so severe that he would black out and listen to his words. Hold these, hold these words. He would black out, he said, whenever I go somewhere new. He kept saying somewhere new. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I can't go to a new, anywhere new. I can't go to a restaurant. I can't. This guy could go on a vacation. He couldn't go to the neighborhood next door. He goes, I can't go anywhere new. And then he dropped the bomb, and he told me that 74 members and his family died in the Holocaust. And I said to him, you mean they were forcibly taken from their homes to somewhere new, a concentration camp where they were murdered. And in that moment, I mean, he knew about this, right? But he never considered he was carrying it. He thought he just had panic attacks, and he would black out. He would go, he would literally die if he'd go somewhere new. And in that minute, he made the link and, wow, wow, right? To live with that our whole lives and to not know what it's connected to. Does anything come to mind about uh, September 11th, uh, similarly, in terms of cases? I have not seen the children of 9-11 yet. I, I have not. How old would they be? They'd be 2001, they'd be 15-year-old kids, right? Uh -huh. They'd be 15-year-old kids. I've not seen any, but I'd love to hear from people who have. The, these would be mothers who are at or near the World Trade Center when they're mm -hmm. pregnant, but the mother had to go on and have PTSD herself, and then the child had it. Remember, you and I are three times more likely to have PTSD if one of our parents has it. That's our dads returning from war. That's our moms that were stunned when dad was cheating and left. Or, you know, childhood abuse, repeated childhood abuse that they experienced and so on and so forth. 
along with all sorts of addictions, I imagine, with, and yeah. losing businesses or going bankrupt. Or... Exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the book, you talk a little bit about the four uh, key tips to break the cycle of inherited family trauma. Maybe you could say a little bit about that. Okay. In the books, um, I, in the book, I think I go, um, I go into different tips, but I I can give these tips here for to, without reading because they'll be quick. Um, learn about the traumas. Talk about the traumas. Tell them. Tell your kids about the traumas. It's important because we don't know and they don't know that we could be reliving aspects of our parents' trauma, grandparents' trauma. It's imperative we talk about them. Don't go silent. Don't go silent. Even the traumas we don't know affect us. In fact, the ones we don't know can have the greatest effect on us. Talk about them. Tell your kids. There's ways to tell even little kids if you see the little kids anxious. I one time worked with a, I one time worked with a seven-year-old trichotillomania boy pulled out the top of his head, and I worked with the mother, and he he had a bald spot right here, um, from pulling out the hair. And I said to the mom, "What happened to you at seven, or his dad at seven, or his grandparents at seven? She said, "That would be me. When I was seven, my mom died." I asked her to make me something to eat, and she went in the kitchen, and that's where we found her dead, and I always felt guilty. She never could talk about her mom. The boy never even knew he had a grandmother. And so who was expressing her anxiety of wanting to pull my hair out? He was. So I said to her, go home and tell him about his grandma and how much you miss her and, uh, and what happened. And draw pictures with her. In fact, as this idea came to me, um, do you have a picture of a halo in some religious book? She said, I do. Tell him that grandma's over the top of his head like a halo, protecting him. And the boy did this. So every time he would reach to pull his hair, what would he be met with? A pleasant feeling of his grandma protecting him. And he stopped pulling his hair. So um, what were the questions? Oh, four of the four tips. That was one tip. Talk about the traumas. Tip number two is... Um, Heal your relationship with your parents. And I won't go into that again because I already did. Um, well, I will say this. I mean, it, it, that's where most of us are caught. And, and we can heal these relate. We have to. We can. We have to. We can. We have to. We can. Number three, heal your relationship with your child's other parent. Yes. So if you're separated or divorced or you're never married, it is important because children, epigenetics, that's what we're learning, and children's loyalty and their innocence, they can literally carry the trauma, what's unresolved between the parents or behind the parents. Heal that. It matters. Do the exercises in the book. Write them down. Do them. They work. I've been using them for 20-some years. They can, they can be life-saving. Again, it seems like it's a bit of a leap of faith for a family to talk about something that's been basically a secret for so for so long. Do you do you find people being afraid to wander into that for fear of incapacitating depression or some uh, ways in which they hold the energy and the reluctance to uh, to try this? I do, I do. I find it all the time. People will say, "My parents aren't talking. I don't know the dramas. They won't say anything. They're gone." But we can find those traumas because they live in your body language, they live in your face language, and they clearly live in your 
verbal language, your core language, how you describe your relationships, how you describe your fears, how you describe your symptoms. So when we unearth our core language, we kind of know what happened. We might not know exactly, but we can point to the holes and we can say, I bet something happened here. You don't have to know what happened. You just have to know what you feel and we can find it. You can find it. And yes, a lot of parents keep their lips sealed, the doorway to the past, tightly, tightly sealed. So uh, what are some of the most surprising things uh, a person might learn from the book? Because I know you're going around the country giving book tours and talking. And Well, the most surprising, right off the bat, they'd learn that traumas can embed in our DNA and change the way our genes function sometimes for generations. But I think the most surprising thing is that they'd learn links. They'd make links. They'd make links to, you'll make links, I'll make links, we'll make links to the issues that have been mysteries. The mystery of my depression. The mystery of my anxiety whenever I'm in a crowd. The mystery of my OCD, my obsessive thought. The mystery mystery of my self-injury. We, we unpack it, and they'll make a link as to where that comes from. Yes, sometimes in childhood, and sometimes in the family history. But we've got to make the link, because when we make that link, it's that sigh. It's like, I always knew there was something. I always knew it. I always knew it. And imagine, too, then, in relationships where people are trying to be more conscious and have a better communication, you have the inherited family trauma from both sides. We do. We do. Now, there's a little rule of thumb, kind of. Now, but don't take me 100% on this, but sometimes first children, how many of you are firstborn boys or girls? Listen to what he said. So you're either a boy or a girl. You can be the seventh child, but you're the first boy or girl. How many of you are first children or first boys or first girls? Raise your hand. See this? Most of the room. That's what I find in my workshops too. That's why we're interested in this. Raise your hands again if you're a first child or a first boy or a first girl in your family. Look around. See that? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Firstborn children sometimes carry the biggest piece of pizza. Two pieces of pizza sometimes. Sometimes the firstborn female will carry what's unresolved on the mother's side. Sometimes the firstborn male will carry what's unresolved on the father's side. Though this is not always 100%. It can cross. It can cross. But if there's no males, if we're all boys... Certainly one of the boys is carrying mom's drama. And if we're all girls in a family, certainly one of the girls is carrying dad's drama. So for couples, getting them to talk about this, especially if firstborn boy or girl you know, get together, yeah. must be really something. Do you work with couples? I do. I, I teach a course here called Creating Great Relationships. Uh, for many, many years, um, a course on um, how we look at these um, patterns and what we bring into our couplehood. I mean, if I could say so much. I will, I will say this, though. 70, I, I've seen 70% of what a couple brings into the relationship does not come from the couple. It comes from patterns. Inherited family patterns or breaks in the bonds or one of the four unconscious themes that you learned tonight that you're bringing in. For example, if your grandmother was widowed and you're a female at 30 and your mom divorced dad at 30, you ain't doing too well at 30 when you go into a relationship. There's an unconscious energy of not close, alone, break apart. 
at 30. So it's good that we take a look in the family and see these things um, in our family because there's, or breaks in the bonds. Remember, we do okay in life, but we go into a relationship with our break in the bond and all our stuff comes up. <gasps> Don't leave me. Don't hurt me. Or get away. Get Or get away, <laughs> right. Oh, I'm not taking that. No. Don't come over. Yeah, that's it. You know, so we just quickly go into the shutdown withdrawal mode. I'm not taking that again. But it didn't start with your partner. Well, name of the book didn't start with you. Yeah. So partners can really help each other with language because they probably hear the similar things like you do that all the time or you never do blah, 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 whatever it is. Beautiful. Yeah. So when I first was reading uh, your book, one of the places uh, you ask uh, a reader to do an exercise and just imagine for a minute, and I'm one of those people that says, oh, no, no I'm going to skip this part. Uh, but I did it. And all of a sudden, my parents were, you know, five feet away. Thought, Whoa. Um, and I was glad that I was in therapy for so long because I, <laughs> I felt like I, I was in a better place to have them five feet away. But I was wondering what you hope uh, readers will take away from this book because that was a really great moment for me. And for those of you out there who uh, get to those exercises, pause and put it down. And, and it's, it seems so simple, but there's some, something about looking at it from a different perspective and being a bit like a detective looking back and wondering what was my dad like at 60 and... Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, for the first thing I hope, well, there are many takeaways. But the biggest takeaway, I guess, is if you're suffering and you don't know why and you don't know what's going on, you've never gotten to the bottom of it, um, make the link um, because that can, that can turn your life around. That can change your life. Um, now, stop there. That's the biggest takeaway. Make the link. Yeah, make the link. Make the link. I mean, many of us are suffering. We don't have to suffer. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, if we can't place it, <coughs> if we can't really name where this suffering comes, let's, let's become detectives. Let's do some exploring. Let's figure it out. Let's get to it. And then let's do the exercises. Yeah. So do them with a pen. Write them down. Write them down. Don't do what he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> Write them down. So make the link, and it's a bit like being a detective, both not only mentally and emotionally, but physically, I'm imagining, energetically, all kinds of ways, kind of a 3D way of coming at it. Exactly. A lot of these exercises are visceral. They'll, they'll have you, um, some of them will have you imagine doing something physical, visceral in your body, some, some action that's important to take that has not been taken, or, or it might even... Uh, have some conversation with that grandmother that you're entangled with or that old, older stillborn brother or ask you to visualize hearing something from them. Do you know that when we visualize something or we actually live it, it's the same, the same regions of the brain activate whether we're visualizing or living. The same neurons light up, they become activated. It's, it's amazing. Um, there are many exercises that do all different sorts of things in that book. I, I go the gamut. I th I, as I like to tell people, I threw the kitchen sink in there. I was just telling Richard, actually. <laughs> Richard said, so you're going to continue going on the road forever? And I think, no, I feel like I've, I'm handing these tools over to people. I've written, I've written a book for people who don't know anything, as an airport book, who don't know anything, but I've also written it for clinicians to use these tools. So you've you got the kitchen sink. Uh, any final thoughts uh, or words of advice? We have about five minutes left. Yeah, shake, shake the family tree. 
if you don't know what's going on, shake the family tree and see what falls out. I mean, what secrets are in there? You, how many, well, don't raise your hand, but how, this is a rhetorical <laughs> question. How many of us have family secrets? You know there's something back there, but you don't know what it is because no one's talking. But it, you can kind of poke around and intuit or learn about these secrets by doing some of the exercises in this book. You'll find them in your body. You'll find them in your language. You'll find them in your genogram. <clears throat> You'll find them in the right questions that you ask your parents or your older siblings. What stories never got told or never got told all the way or you heard about it once when you were little? You remember, yeah, I remember a story like th those types of things. Or what traumas have never healed all the way because we don't talk about mom about the child she gave away. We don't talk to grandma about her children that died. We don't talk to grandpa about the war. And then in the next generation, there's jittery shaking from being in a foxhole. But it's the generation removed. You know, the interesting thing is we don't know whose traumas these are. They feel like ours, but we don't know whose they really are. They track through us, but they're not always ours. I find that if we ignore the past, it can come back to haunt us. But if we explore the past, we don't have to repeat it. We can heal and break this cycle. Well, thank you, Mark, for sharing that and all the other stories you just shared. I mean, it's very moving and touching, and I think it maybe has us all thinking about our families and, and uh, maybe gives us the inspiration and I think the courage to really shake the tree because God knows what's going to follow those limbs, right? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I yeah. really enjoyed it's being pleasure. Just enjoyed yeah. talking with you, Richard. You've been listening to the podcast for the California Institute of Integral Studies. If you liked what you heard, find us and subscribe on iTunes or listen on our website, ciis.edu slash public programs.